All right. So, we've done a whole bunch of different folks from over time. Uh, we've talked about one of the major documents that was not in America, but way back in the 1200s-ish, there was what? Magna Carta. Magna Carta. In 1215, I think. Okay, Magna Carta in 1215, signed by King John, right, I think, with an X. Um, what did that what did that serve as a foundation for, for us? Uh, freedom. Freedom from what? Or for what? In which way? Whatever. Whatever <laughs> you want to answer. Well, it was for people who owned land. Okay, alright, so people, and not just freedom for the top class people, but freedom for, everybody. Freedom for the government, right? So, so you get at least a voice uh, by the governed. And because of that, England set up something that originally, well, it's their uh, House of Lords and House of Commons, right? Their House of Lords and House of Commons essentially um, still keeping class, right, because they kept class many times, and even into America, class was kept for a long time. We're going to see some of that and what happened. I'm going to tell you about a couple places um, that I've been that are very interesting, and they tie into tonight's stories and how they all wrap together. Um, and, and this kind of comes in through because America begins in this way, sort of, okay? America does not have a House of Lords and a House of Commons that has become the common day um, in England. And then they also have another piece of their government, which is what? The royal people. The royal family, okay? The king and queen and in... Your lifetimes, you've never seen anything but a queen in England. Um, but there have been kings, okay, in, in England all the way back through, and John was one of them, okay? But the people got that idea, and you remember, and I can't remember the guy's name, Lance... Stephen Langton. There you go, Stephen Langton, okay? So he's the guy that really pushed this, right? And he he was a minister. Okay? He was a, a person that believed strongly in God. And that's what we started to see from beginning to end. We've looked at the people that love God are the people that push the hardest for freedoms and equality and voice in government and all of these things that we in America have taken for granted for some time. Okay? But maybe not so much anymore. Do we take that for granted? Okay? And that's a good thing not to take it for granted. It's a good thing to learn what it costs, and it's a good thing uh, what it costs to get and what it costs to keep. Okay? And those are part of, of what why we look to learn. Okay? And then we came over to America, because that was a good foundational start. We came over to America in the 1600s, okay, and we had a governor, John Winthrop, and he was part of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and he brought along with him in the Massachusetts Bay Colony what particular sect of Christianity? You're, you're close, and honestly, they both come from the Church of England. So with with this power coming from the king and queen, people have realized that religion is the easiest way to control people. If you can control religion, you can control the people. And so, Henry VIII came along, in, and he had oh, a bunch of wives, okay, and he didn't like that one, he got rid of that one, didn't like that one, got rid of that one. 
Well, he and the Pope were supposed to be tight buddies. I mean, he knew this concept. If he could control religion, he would control the people. And so he said, hey, Pope, this wife that I got, not super fond of her anymore, so I need you to give me a divorce, grant me a divorce for her. I need a new one, okay? And the Pope said, uh, nope, not going to do it. And so it ended up that the Pope realized that he was in control quite a bit, and he excommunicated the king. And when he excommunicated the king, the king said, I'll make my own church then. And so he came up with the Anglican Church, which is what a lot of the English people at the time went through. Essentially, the Anglican Church, which was almost exactly like Roman Catholicism, except a few little things in the beginning, and it's, and it's morphed a little bit as it's gone by how they do things. Um, but the uh, Church of England, it's called. The Church of England. And the reason it's called the Church of England is because during Henry VIII's time and many others, they kept the power. Once they had a, a state church, they said, we'll just keep this. This is very convenient. We can set up the rules of how our people are governed, and then we can step over here and control how they believe, too. Okay? It was all based around Christianity. But there were people within that Anglican church, and I make a little light of it in telling the story, but truthfully, there were people in that church that loved God dearly. Many, many people. And there were people in that church who wanted power to the point of corruption. And that's what happens when you get power over people. It corrupts people. Those people, many people in power cannot handle it. Okay? And so, because they weren't interested in serving the people, they were interested in serving themselves. Okay? That's, that's why they came up with it. So it got harder and harder and harder for the average Englishman to be able to worship in the way he wanted to. They weren't allowed through many of the Middle Ages to even read, nor would, did they have access to reading anything, nor was it even read in their own language when they went to church. Okay? They often had it read to them in Latin. And if you were a commoner, you didn't know Latin. But don't worry, we'll tell you what to believe. Okay? If you can believe that one, then you're in trouble. Don't think that way. Know that you need to test things by the scriptures. You all have the ability to read. You all have a freedom in that you've been educated to that point. And you can go and say, you can't tell me what to believe because I'm going to go and read. You can't even tell me what the Bible says. I don't even want you to believe what I say. I want you to go and search it out and look at it. Don't believe it for gospel truth. If I tell it to you, go search it and seek it. If you see something that you say, eh, maybe I should believe something else, or think something else, because I think the Bible says he's not quite right there, tell me about it. <laughs> because I might say, I never read that part. Okay? No people are infallible. And yet, the government acted like that in that way. And that was the danger. And thus, the world said, let me be and let me go and worship as I need to. And so you get the people that said, we want to purify the church. The Puritans. And separatists. And we want to separate from the church. And these were all essentially... In England, they were the Anglican Church, okay? We're going to separate from them, and we're going to purify it, okay? They can, people came to America with that idea. We we're going to purify the Church of England, and they, they were in an English colony, so they followed the rules of the Church of England. 
many of them loving God very dearly, but they were very strict. Very strict, okay? Holy people, you would probably call them today, but strict with what they believed. And some of these strictness took over a little bit, and it got to be suspicious of anything, okay? And you ended up with things like the Salem Witch Trials that rolled out of people that just, if you didn't walk the pathway, okay? But that was much more in the north, okay? Massachusetts Bay Colony, beginning with the Puritans. And again, there were many, many people in that who loved God dearly, and God blessed that. There are always people in every place, in every time, in every era that go wrong and claim that they're doing something in the name of God. And that's why you have the freedom and the right to read and say, no, you're not. This is what God says. All right? So they come along, the Puritans and the Separatists. Okay, And then we learned about another couple different groups. We learned about uh, Mr. Penn. Gross. William Penn. And what is he? Quaker. He's a Quaker, okay? Just like the Quaker Oats, yes. I don't know if he looked like the Quaker Oats man. Probably not. <laughs> but he is a Quaker and a strong believer in Christ. Totally different from the Puritans, okay? And the Quakers were their own sect of religion. They were their own standalone people, okay? Believed totally in the Bible, but wanted to worship in their own way, and that's why they got that name, because they were a little different. Right? And what did they do? They quaked. They shook when they were, when the Holy Spirit was on them, okay? And they might be, in that manner, uh, a little closer to. Um, Kind of Pentecostal of today, yeah. Closer. Not exactly in the things that they um, things that they believe, but as far as in the Holy Spirit saying we let God take us over and God makes us quake. Okay? Now did it happen in every service? Probably not. It's probably much more conservative than our church in many ways when you walked in there. In fact, if you go down the street here, you will find um, at the very end of this road where it goes into Millville, if you turn right, you'll see what looks like a small house, all stone, very little. Okay, it's across the road, and it is very plain and basic, just like a plain roof, and there are two doors on that. Both of them have been filled in with stone, but you can see where the two doors are outlined. That was a Quaker meeting house, okay, right here in Millville, right down the road. They had influence throughout uh, the north, okay, and really through the colonies. Um, you know the reason they had two doors? Men and women did not worship together although they believed them equal, okay? They worshiped in separate places. Now, there were, at times, and some of the ones, if you go into some of the old historical museums, I don't know if there's one at Mumford, Genesee Country Museum there, but I've been to other ones where they have wooden flaps that fold down in the center, so you might have them separate at times, and maybe you would open it, but there's benches all around, and there's really no place for a minister. Okay, they, they just each added two things and one person would stand up and said, I've, this is a word I've got from the Lord or I've been studying this or I've been looking at this and this is what I think God asked me to say. So they were engaged in their religion. Okay, And you'll see, like I said, right down there, a little stone house uh, just across the road in Millville. So, um, then we had another influence that came in and... Uh, he came in and he was from Scotland, okay? And he was a Presbyterian, 
remember who that was? Is it Robert? Robert? Robert Williams? Or is it not him? No, not Robert Williams. Robert Wheelock, right? Is it Eliezer? Yep, Eliezer Wheelock. No, that one's a good, that's another one. Yes, you're doing that in order, so let's do that. So he became Eliezer Wheelock became... Oh, is it the Witherspoon guy? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's true. So there is a John Witherspoon, which comes from, okay, which was a Presbyterian minister, and he comes over and he becomes the um, leader of College of New Jersey, right, which is Princeton. It becomes Princeton, all right? And he is a signer of the Declaration. Now, Eliezer Wheelock, and we see that education becomes a big thing in America, and most of the ministers start them or become presidents of these, these different colleges because it's a big deal in America. And in England, you didn't go unless if you were part of a different class or could afford to go to college. So the fact that there were so many early on in America, and then this is important to us, okay? Education's always been important to America. It's what defines Americans in so many ways, all right? And there's a low, uh, there, there's a high literacy rate, uh, a very low amount of people that are illiterate in America compared to some other countries in the world, because it's, we said, this is important, we'll, we're going to do this. So, Eliezer Wheelock, and he was, what was he, the, the, he was the president of, was he Harvard? Yale. I think it was Yale. Yale. Okay. So, either way, we're seeing all these things, we see that the different sects of the Christian religion come in, they make an imprint. They bring about a little different facet of freedom, whether it's education or it is uh, living a righteous life. You'll find that the Puritans were often very generous in the things that they did. Okay, so that's another piece of America, as were as were many of the others. But it's another piece of America is. Most of the rest of the world finds America to be the most generous country, which God says he loves a cheerful giver, right? And if we give as Americans, God blesses those things. So that's, there's a whole stacked up amount of reasons why God has blessed us again and again and again. So there are a couple more in there, okay, that have met... Um, you've, you've met as time goes on, but we're going to dig into a new one that we're looking at. And this is a little bit nearer and dearer to my heart, although I am not one. Lutheran. Have you ever had, heard of Lutheran people? Okay. Where did the Lutheran sect come from? It came from the 95, it came from the 95 pieces. Well, it came from Martin Luther's followers. Yeah. Okay. Where did it affect Europe? I mean, it was in a lot of places, but where was its biggest, strongest pieces? There's a couple of pieces that probably are the closest. Like a country? Yep. Germany, because that's where he was in, right? He was in Wittenberg, and he was in oh, Germany. And there's also an interesting other piece, is a very large, almost totally 100% for a long time, uh, besides the Germans, were the Scandinavians. Almost. In, in fact, when you look at the Vikings, they came down into Germany and you know, did what Vikings do, right? <laughs> but it was one of the Viking kings that came back to Norway and said, we are going to become a Christian nation, which was a huge leap from where they were. And it was the Lutheran uh, denomination that they picked up. And they 
kept that all the way through today. If you go through all of the traditional old churches that are there in Norway are all Lutheran. Okay, they follow the generic general Lutheran rules and doctrine and things like that. Okay, again, very strong at the beginning. So this Lutheran minister, his name was Henry. Oh, Henry. Melchior. <laughs> and here you go. Here's a German name for you. Muhlenberg, okay? Muhlenberg. Henry Melchior Muhlenberg. How'd you like the middle name Melchior? That's like, isn't that like one of the Three Kings? The traditional names of the Three Kings? Melchior. <laughs> it sounds like something on Mark commercial. Drink milk like Melchior. <laughs> So, he's a guy that is, brings over Lutheranism to America. And he's important, not because he did, uh, he did, he brought, he brought Lutheranism over, okay? And he was one of the first and one of the founders of the Lutheran Church in America, okay? Bringing that other group of people in the Germans, which we've, so many things are mixed in now, okay? So you get into Pennsylvania, and you've got the Quakers from William Penn, and then you get the Germans that come in and bring in a Lutheran group, and you get those, what they called eventually Pennsylvania Dutch, which is a heavy German population, okay? And some of us are descendants of some of those people. Okay, so my great great grandfather used to work in coal mines from Pennsylvania Dutch country. German, uh, they were Germans. Now, during the World War II, they did not want to admit that they were Germans, so they said, We're Pennsylvania Dutch people. <laughs> that's what we are. And that's one of the reasons that that stuck with, with them, is because they wanted to be, We're Americans. We're Americans. And that's what we are. We believe totally in America. So, he comes in, brings that Lutheran church, and his son is the important piece in the cog of how America began, okay? He has a son, all right? Are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. John, Peter, okay, John Peter. Gabriel, yeah. Muhlenberg. Nice. <laughs> okay, John, Peter, Gabriel, Muhlenberg. Maybe, maybe they couldn't decide. Maybe they liked them all. As much as the fact that yes, he does. The person that was known as Mr. Joseph's name wasn't that only one of his sons survived, and he took the name Peter Pepper when he came to All right, so John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg becomes a minister in his twenties. Okay, pretty young. Becomes a minister. He trains, and he is a Lutheran minister. Now, his father's church was in a place called, a little tiny place called Valley Forge. You ever heard of that? Valley Forge, Pennsylvania? You ought to have, okay, because it's an important part of our American history. And he himself knew George Washington very well, okay? So, the George Washington often went and visited these local churches, okay? He went to places, and he traveled a lot, but when he was in Pennsylvania, he met and um, Mr. Melchior, Henry Melchior Muhlenberg, knew him and said a lot of amazing things about him as a leader, and he probably was one of the big pushers to say he needs to become our, our leader. What he did not know was he was raising a son to be not necessarily a pacifist like the Quakers, but he was trying in his very best way to be peaceful. And that's what all of America was trying to do at the time. They wanted peace with England. 
No one wanted a war. Only that was a war. Well, they talked to England, they asked England, they begged England to listen to their needs. They were thousands of miles across the ocean and wouldn't listen to anything. And instead of listening to what the American colonists had to say, they used an attack or something. They actually made it harder on them. Sounds familiar, kind of like Pharaoh, all right? In Egypt with the Hebrews, when he says, let my people go, and he says, I'm going to make it harder for you. I'm going to take away your straw when you make bricks, and I'm going to make it hard for you because you apparently have too much time on your hands if you're able to do this, if you're able to rebel. Now, they were not rebelling. No one wanted to rebel. No one wanted it. They just wanted enough freedom to live their life and do what they came to do, right? They wanted to be free to worship. And they were far enough away from England that they figured, we'll be able to do that, we'll make our own thing, our own place, and we'll be able to do that without persecution. But as time went on, it got harder and harder. We'll go through a couple of quick things, but what you need to know about John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg was he himself got up one day and he turned to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So let's turn there. He had been battling inside himself. He had been asked to do something and he was almost tortured within. He said, I'm here to preach God's word. I'm a Lutheran minister. I will follow God's word. So let's look at chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. This was what he preached his sermon on that day. Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. We're going to go verse 1 through 8, please. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to tear down, and a time to build. A time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. Verse 7. A time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And when he finished speaking that, he said, and the time of war is now. And he took off his cloak, his Lutheran minister's cloak. And underneath it was a Continental Army uh, uniform that he had worn. Okay? So he had preached his whole sermon to say, I have been battling with this in my heart for a long time. Now, he had been preaching for a few years about it. And who had asked him the question was George Washington came to him and said, you need to fight in the Continental Army. And he said, I can't. I'm here to be a minister. I'm here to be a minister. And George Washington said, we need you. And he thought and thought Finally, he put this sermon together, and he did that. He took off his cloak, and he said, And I'm going to say farewell to you, because I don't know if I will ever see you again. But I'm going off to fight this afternoon. If anybody wants to come with me, and the congregation, a whole bunch of them stood up, and off they went. So you, these men and women in places where they were stood up in little places and if he only got 10 people to go with him that day and there were 10 people somewhere else and two people here and 20 people here as people stood up and said this is the right thing to do we have to do something about this we are going to fight not just for some general freedom you know we got lots of signs around there freedom freedom and freedom is good but the freedom to do righteousness. That is what we get from the Puritans. We want to see righteousness in our society. 
Because anything but God's word will bring down the society. But if we live by God's word, we'll see better things. Okay? We want the freedoms that these other people talked about and fought for. We want, uh, and I think was it Eliezer Wheelock that did uh, and, and wanted the native tribes, right, to go to college. He said it way early on. This was way back in the 1700s. He's saying, get these people to college. There's no reason we can't do it. <clears throat> Dartmouth University. And the same thing with William Penn, okay? We want women to be able to own property. We want no slaves in this country. And they fought for those things and said, this is the right thing to do. Sadly, it still took thousands of years for it to happen. Well, it took a few years from this point. And this was in 1776 that he stood up took his robe off and went off to fight in the Continental Army. Within two years, he was his brigadier general. And just so you know, one of the most important things is in his own hometown where Melchior, okay, was stationed as a minister in that Lutheran church was the turning point for the Americans in the war. Valley Forge was the place where the Americans were almost defeated when they got there. And God brought in several different people, leaders, some of which were Muhlenberg and others, and there were other ones like the Count uh, von Steuben that came in, okay? From Steuben County, we call it in America, or in, in New York, there's a bunch of Steuben stuff, okay? He came over and helped us and trained our troops. God brought in several people and turned that Valley Forge experience into a growth experience, and we went on to start winning battles. Essentially, we won almost no battles before that. We were losing. We were losing. And what would happen if they lost? The British soldiers were coming, and everybody, like... Like Ben Franklin said, if we don't hang together in this, we will most assuredly hang separately. He would hang every leader, every person, every minister, until it was the whole entire thing was squashed. All right? But God had a different plan for America. Okay? Because people's motives were right, because they were fighting not just to take over, but because they wanted to worship. That's really the core of why they did this. And they held out for a long time. They held out for a very long time. So, as he did that, very interesting, he did several other things in his life. Just to let you know, he served in the Continental Congress, okay, for three times, three separate terms. He also was the state vice president, which I never even knew there was one, of Pennsylvania under Ben Franklin, okay? So this Muhlenberg guy here was one of those key pins to make, to hold things together, and a lot of things swung around that, all right? He did not want to fight, but one of the things he had done was he was invited when he was part of a representative for uh, Pennsylvania, he was invited to a place called the House of Burgesses. Okay? The House of Burgesses is something a little different from Parliament. Okay? Parliament was essentially the government body that made laws in England. The House of Burgesses, or that's at least the modern day the thing that they call it, the House of Burgesses was a group of upper-level society people, okay, or they were at least considered it, and ministers were considered that, okay, upper-level, because they were educated. He went to the House of Burgesses. The House of Burgesses met in a place called Williamsburg, okay? You can go there today to the House of Burgesses, and it was the government ruling body of the colonies for over a hundred years. 133 years in the colonies. 
It started, let me see if I got the dates right. It started way back in 1643, and it went all the way up to, guess what, 1776, right? When something else happened. Now, they had met for 130, no, we're going to go back two years. So 131 years they had met for the House of Burgesses. Now, if you go to a place called Colonial Williamsburg today, okay, you can see at the end of town, I believe it's laid out like this. Now, there's a great big fancy loop road like this, okay, and it makes a turn and goes all the way down here. On sitting on that great big fancy loop road is a great big fancy with the towers and all sorts of things, big statues here. That's the governor's mansion. Okay? The governor ruled Virginia and essentially all the colonies at that time. Okay? He just really pushed out what he wanted. And he was the most powerful man, really, probably in the colonies. Okay? And he was John. <laughs> John Murray. He was actually an earl of a place called Dunmore. Okay. Yep, he was absolutely the ruler. Now, if you go, and he lived in the big fancy mansion, he got all of his correspondence direct from the king in England, and all of his power direct from the king, and this is in America. Did he even have a house girl? Most girls are known to have a house girl, like some of the little work. Oh, yeah, lots of servants. In fact, there are servants' quarters all around it. Okay, outside and inside, if you go there, you can go and see some of the, they were slaves' houses, okay, is oh what God, they had. Carl was like a personal servant that basically does everything, including guarding. Yes, yes, yes. Like, many, many, more than one, okay. Now, if you walk into his, if you walk into his house, it is really an impressive display. You, there's a great big, open, very, very tall, I think it's got a dome roof, on its structure, and it's just the front foyer, and it is covered, and I mean hundreds, maybe thousands of swords and guns all around it, wrapped up, attached, put to the walls. Now, why does he do it? Because he's showing he's powerful. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> right? Pretty impressive, and when you walk in, you're like, wow, that is cool, <laughs> you know, and you see this guy, he's telling you, if you're a guest in his home, that I have the power to do what I want over you. Why not just turn that old place into a museum now? So it is. It is a museum, and you can go see it in Williamsburg now. All right, so if you went down the road, of course, the governor's mansion's fancy. It's got fancy gardens all around the back and everything. <clears throat> and, and very cool carpet, by the way, in the back. But if you go all the way down the end of this road here, there is a building with two round halls, kind of an attached sort of like that. Um, that is the House of Burgesses, right in Williamsburg. That's where all of the House of Burgess representatives met every spring. And they go and they meet and they talk about the laws and they talk about the things that they needed to do. And every single year they, they were in session for a while and then they'd go back and live their lives and make their money so they could send back taxes back to, to uh, Lord Dunmore here. And uh, once they did that, then they'd go back and say, well, we really want to do this or we want to do that. And the person that really ruled, and they would split, he would meet, the governor would meet essentially with the Burgesses, which were elected officials from every county in Virginia. Okay? He would meet with them and talk about their issues. Now, others got invited as time went on, and it became, like I said, the representative um, uh, piece of it all. And one of the things was, in that House of Burgesses, there were several different men that, that worked there. Uh, I think Sam Adams worked there. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was in the House of Burgesses. And... Also, um, George Washington was in the House of Burgesses. They served as a, uh, an elected representative under England. Right? 
And they watched as Lord Dunmore did his worst to people. And over time, each and every year, okay, they would see and watch, and England would kind of do things for about 10 or 12 years. So back in the 1760s, 1760s, they started to see oppressive things by the government. They'd say, we really need this. We can't send you as much of this. We had a bad year or whatever it was. And England would say, double the tax. Add a tax to this. Make it so they have to do this. Okay? And essentially, you do all this, and then Lord Dunmore, in the name of the king, would just make it harder for you because he would have corresponded some at some point with the king in the past year, and the king would say, I need money for a war, so they're going to pay for it. Okay? So you see these types of things, and you watch slowly. Now, there was a man in 1764 who, his name was Patrick Henry. All right? He was a representative in this House of Burgesses. And Patrick Henry got up one day and talked about this speech, okay? He had a very famous speech. Now, what had happened is, since 1764, Patrick Henry had a bunch of different things to say over time. Patrick Henry learned, he's famous because he was a red-headed guy, okay? And he was a great speaker, and he learned it all from his hometown minister. Okay? He used to go home on the way home from his from church with his mother, and he could recite the sermons almost word for word that he had just heard. He was not your average man in intellect. He could recite the verses that were said and almost word for word big huge sections of the sermon back to his mother. And oftentimes those were not 20-minute sermons. Those were two-hour sermons at times. Okay? Those were, so this man had an incredible mind to think and absorb those things. Patrick Henry was known by many people. Patrick Henry came along, and over time, people got invited, and, and John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg was one of those people that got invited, and he heard the speech of Patrick Henry. Okay? Patrick Henry's speech was incredible. Now, I won't read that part yet, but I want to get you to say this is, this is basically what happened. They finally got to 1774, and by 1774, there were a lot of rumblings about we don't like. We're not going to give England the taxes that she's asking for. We're not going to stand for this. We want to be represented when we're taxed, right? No taxation without representation. There you go. You learn those things because they were fighting for that. We want to be governed. We want a voice in the government. We don't want Lord Dunmore to run everything. That's just like a kingdom, and it's not how we want it run. We have a House of Burgesses for a reason. So in 1774, he had heard that that kind of was, uh, had been boiling amongst the people. So he said, fine, you can't meet anymore. No more House of Burgesses. I dissolve it. Done. <laughs> and so, do you think everybody went home? Nope. They all went to Richmond, okay, which... <clears throat> This Williamsburg like was the big town in in Virginia. Well, guess what the capital is now? Richmond, right? Because they said, I don't care about you, Lord Dunmore. We're going to meet. And we're going to start a Continental Congress. Now, they met as the House of Burgesses, but essentially in Richmond, Virginia, they all got together and they met like at a church. And they got together and said, we're going to meet. We're going to talk about our needs. We're going to talk about where we stand with things. Right? 1774, 1775, 1776. They meet really for a couple of years. They're talking about it. 
and things go. And then finally, after John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg, here's this speech from Patrick Henry. That's when he finally says, I can't just be a minister anymore. I love my people, and I love what I do, but this is the right thing to do. Patrick Henry stood up one day. Now, remember this. I told you 1764 was when they started things. In 1764, they had a currency act. That means they were going to charge taxes on money, just extra taxes, printing it, doing whatever they want. In 1764 also, they had a sugar act. We're going to tax you for sugar. Just extra taxes, okay? 1765, next year, Stamp Act. And then the Quartering Act. You remember what the Quartering Act was? It's where, like, the soldiers, like, you have to let them stay at your house if they tell you to. Yep, yep, that's it. British soldier walks into your house, says, I want to stay here. And you have to say, yes, sir. That's it. And you have to also like, give them food, too. Yep, you give them food, you give them lodging, you give them everything. Okay? Even if you don't have room, it doesn't matter. They get the room. You don't. You literally have to right? And then there were many more. Declaratory Act, the Townsend Act, the Tea Act, of course, and that was the Tea Party, right? Was that the Boston Port Act, everything that came through the Port of Boston, which was everything that came to America from England and everywhere else. They didn't have sugar in America. You had to get it from England, which originally actually probably came from uh, down south, okay? They, they would grow it down in South America and they had like the triangle trade, okay? Um, the Justice Act, the Massachusetts Government Act in 1774. 1774, another quartering act. 1774 again, the Quebec Act. 1775, the Proclamation of Rebellion, saying you can't. Okay, you guys are in rebellion, and we are going to crush you because of it. And so, Patrick Henry stood up at St. John's Church in Richmond and said this, For my own part, I consider it as nothing less than a question of freedom or slavery. Sir, we have done everything that could be done to avert the storm which is now coming on. We have petitioned, we have remonstrated, we have supplicated, we have prostrated ourselves before the throne. Our petitions have been slighted. Our remonstrances have, been, have produced additional violence and insult. Our supplications have been disregarded. We have, not, we have been spurned with contempt. We must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left us. They tell us, sir, that we are weak. But when shall we be stronger? Will it be when we are totally disarmed, when a British guard shall be stationed in every house? Sir, we are not weak. If we make a proper use of the means which God, the God of nature hath placed in our power, Three millions of people armed in the holy cause of liberty are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations, who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. And they did, right? France and Germany helped with some, like, Count von Steuben. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, the brave. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable, and let it come. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God, 
I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty, give me death. Right? And so, as, as John Peter Gabriel heard that, he says, I'm going. That's it. We cannot let this. God is on our side. God will bring. I know we don't have any chance in winning this war with just the troops we have. Because we got just a bunch of ragtag farmers. But if God is on our side, we can win this. And so they stepped out in faith. In so many ways, they stepped out in faith. And it is interesting to see what happens with him, all right? Patrick Henry is a man that at this point definitely acknowledges God, right? God, we need God to help us through this. We need God to do this. And at the end of his life, in his last will and testament, just for your interest's sake to say, well, what, what really happened? What was really important? After he won the war, he's not just saying, well, we need God now. After he won the war, this is what he said in his last will and testament. I have now disposed all of my property to my family. There is one more thing which I wish I could give them, and that is the Christian religion. If they had that, and I had not given them one shilling, they would be rich. And if they had not that, and I had given them all the world, they would be poor. This is all the inheritance I give to my dear family. The religion of Christ will give them one which will make them rich indeed. All right? And so he believed to the end, to his death. And there's a lot of other examples. I don't even need to read them all, but the idea is this. These people believed enough to stand up and do something different. Turn to James. We have this verse, and I have one more verse I want to show you. Turn to James chapter 1, verse number 25. This has been kind of our theme verse from the beginning for this whole series. I'm going to read that, please. Chapter 1 of James, verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Okay? And that's what they're saying is if we follow God, God gives freedom. God's amazing way of handling his people is not by locking them down and holding them in and crushing them under but it is by saying, you are free to do what's right. You are free to do the right thing. I want you to do the right thing, not because I made a list of rules for you, but because you will be the most blessed if you do them. And that is the course by which the American United States came and got put together was these loose colonies of people that had strong beliefs. They had strong beliefs. And they were right on the precipice of fighting for it all. And really, they had a lot to lose. Most every one of these people we've looked at would have been killed when they stood up and said things against the government or went and actually fought. And they did so anyways at their own peril because they said, why would I live a life this way? In Patrick Henry's speech, he said this very interesting thing. And if you know God's word, you would pick out several different things that he said just in that speech alone, but there are many that he has. But he said, people are saying, peace, peace. But there is no peace. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. It's after Isaiah. Jeremiah chapter 6. Verse number 14. This is where he gets this from. 
and we're going to say a couple of words about this and what it really meant to them and to us. Chapter 6, verse 14. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people, slightly saying, peace, peace, where there is no Okay, so what they're saying, what God is saying here is, my children, okay, and this is Judah, I believe, the kingdom of, of Judah, my children have been injured. All right, there's something that needs healing. But instead of healing it, they kind of covered it up, and they said, Oh, it's all good. It's all good. We're, we're just fine. Peace, peace. Everything's great. Everything's just fine. But there is no real peace. If left to fester, the wound will do much more damage. And God knows that. There is no peace. They're all saying, peace, peace, peace. Everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's great. We just let it all go back and it's all going to be good. Think about Patrick Henry as he stood up and said, everybody wants peace. We understand that. Everybody, this great wound has been given to our nation, and it's been deep. And everybody's saying, it's not so bad. We're just fine. We'll, we'll, we'll heal this. We'll get this all fixed up. And he says, everybody's saying, peace, peace, peace. But there is no peace. Time is now to fight. All right? And as he stood up and said that, people said, you're right. We've been saying this for how many years? We've been watching and being oppressed by all these things, watching our freedoms being taken away, right? Step by step by step. And everything, oh, it's just going to be fine. This is just another one. It's no big deal. We'll get through it. It's not a big deal. We'll step through it. Eventually, these people stood up and said, no more. We're done. They are now hitting us, not just in the pocketbook, but where we have no freedom anymore. We have no freedom, and we're going to lose it all if we let it go. Alright? It's a wound, and it has to be healed correctly. You can't just kind of cover it up and hope for the best. If you have a deep enough wound, it won't heal without proper attention. And so, you think about those words, where you stand today, what you've seen in your life, and those things. Ponder that. Think about that. Right? What's too far? How much is too much taken away? Think about that. These are the people that are the heroes of America how they created America, and they stood up against a government that was oppressing them. In, in righteousness, first of all, to worship as they wished for equality, for representation, simple freedoms they stood up for, and they gave their entire life to say, I'll fight for it. Knowing full well they may not see it. And even if they won, they'd probably be totally almost decimated, in which we were. We won the war, but we were nearly decimated. And in our infancy, we barely survived as a country. But God nourished the seed because these people stood up for what was right. Be aware when people try to cover things. Oh, everything's good, everything's good, everything's peace, peace, peace. When there is no peace. Be aware. Think about those things. All right? Think about what is important in this life. God gives us freedom, the law of liberty, and that's the way God wants things run, okay? You have something in this country that you may not always have. So, make sure you understand the value of it. Make sure you see it clearly where we stand today. Alright? 
those are the next couple of guys in there. John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg and Henry Melchior Muhlenberg and Patrick Henry, the fiery red-haired orator. Next week, it's war. All right? Thank you very much.